<laughs> That's a peaceful exit. <coughs> if you guys have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to invite you to open up the book of Proverbs. We're going to be taking a look at Proverbs 11. Oh, I'm so thankful that I put extra specs in my pocket. Proverbs chapter 11. Okay, so we remember as we work our way through the book of Proverbs, we have the introduction from chapters 1 through 9, which is a father over and over and over again encouraging his son to make the choice to follow wisdom. And we get laid out for us for the first time this idea that in the world there are two roads you can walk. Road of life, road of death. One is the path of wisdom, one is the path of the fool. The wise accepts instruction, the fool uh, doesn't accept instruction. One will learn, the other won't. We see this so that when we come to these Proverbs from 10 to to 22, we're in, in the second section, if you will, of the book of Proverbs. As we look at these, the point of each one of these pithy wisdom sayings is for us to say, what road am I on? I can look at these multitude of different concepts that we'll be talking about tonight, and I can ask myself, what road am I on? And if I'm on the wrong road, it's not something of condemnation to say, oh, you big dummy, you're on the wrong road, you know, what's wrong with you? It's so that you can stop, repent, turn, live. That's the point of Proverbs. The Bible says in Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his ways? How can someone know how to walk through this life? How can I know to follow wisdom? He says, by your word. Your word becomes my headlights. Right? He says to take the word and put it on your forehead. That's not so you can walk around with a box on your head. Right? It's so that you can say, the word is guiding where I'm looking. We take the word and put it on your hands. Not so you can wear a box on your hand. What was it for? So the things that I do are founded in the Word of God. Let it be that which guides my feet, that shows me how to walk. And so that's the point when we come to the book of Proverbs. So in Proverbs 11 is where we'll be. We're only going to go through, I think I'm only going through verse 27 tonight, and then I'll I'll pick up the rest of it when we do chapter 12, so I can kind of try to keep the thoughts together for it. But Proverbs 11, we'll just read the first 27 verses together. It says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and the wicked perish. Because uh, or when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it's overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, 
but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Yet whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. A gracious woman gets honor and a violent man gets riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages. But one who sows righteousness will get a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways, they are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout, is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you and before your word this evening, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, God. Help us to recognize and realize that your word is calling us. It's directing us. You're showing us the path of life. God, I pray that we could acknowledge and grow, hear the instruction of your word, receive correction, repent, and stay on the path of life. God, guard us from the path of death. Lord, help us remember Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to salvation, the way of life. Few there are who will find it. But wide is the path of destruction, the road of death. And many there are who will walk it. Because your word declares to us, God, that there's a way that seems right to man. But man is unwilling to, to be humble before a righteous God and say, I'll do it your way. God, we pray that you would anoint this time with your presence. Guide us and lead us through your word as we work our way through these proverbs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so there's several in this section I'm going to refer to that are Proverbs called inclusios. An inclusio is, is the idea like a proverb that's bracketed between two things. If you think of it like uh, two, uh, um, what do you call those things, bookends? The inclusio are the two bookends, and then you have the main point in the middle. There's a similar structure we'll see tonight as well. It's called a chiastic. Any of you guys ever heard of chiastic before? Chiastic structure is the same thing. It'll be like A, B, B, C, B, B, A. You guys get it? Pattern? An A, beginning and the end the same. Two other phrases the same. The important point, the moral of the story, the emphasis of what's being given 
is laid out in the middle. These are this is just how they wrote, the ways that they wrote, some of the things that they wrote uh, when we take a look at the book of Proverbs. So I'll try to give you each one as we work our way through. The first one we're going to start with, with is a chiastic. <coughs> so hopefully you'll be able to see that structure. It's in the first four verses. It says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides him, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys him. Riches do not profit in a day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from wrath. So we have here moral integrity and God's judgment. And the idea in this chiastic framed is God hates fraud. That's the whole point of a a, a false balance to scales. God doesn't like fraud. God doesn't like us to rip people off. The idea of false scales was you would come with so much silver and a guy would put a shekel's weight, whatever that was equal to, on one side of the scale and you would put your silver on the other side. Everybody tracking with me? So obviously if you had false scales, you would want your scale to be heavier so you got more silver, right? Or another times when you were buying, if you're trying to weigh out what you were buying, you want your weight to be lighter so you get more stuff. So over and over again throughout the word, God says, I hate false scales. I hate people who lie, right? We talked about in chapter six, God doesn't like liars. God doesn't like falsehood. God doesn't like it when, when we don't stand in the truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth. And what's the other thing? Life, right? So if we want to get on the path of life, we want to follow him. So you have here, kind of at the beginning and at the end, this idea that God hates fraud. Now if we look at it, in the middle of this section of Proverbs, you see that humility and integrity are the best guides for life. Look what he said. When pride comes, what happens? Disgrace. So that's kind of the idea of fraud, right? What, what, literally what he's saying, guys, is pride is a lightweight. Pride is a lightweight. That's what he's saying. That I hate unjust weights. Pride is a lightweight. Humility is a proper weight. You guys with me? Pride is false weight. Humility is the right weight. Integrity. That's the right weight. That's a proper weight. That's the way our lives ought to look. But crookedness and treachery. What's that? That's not good. That's the path of death. We're looking at path of life. Path of death. Wrongfully gained wealth is of no value. So if you rip everybody off and you have all this money at the end of days, what, what's it buy you? What'd you get? Not much, right? Do your false weights fool God? How many times have we been in the wrong and the way we deal with being in the wrong is to deflect? You guys know what I mean by deflecting? Look, something shiny. And everybody looks at something shiny and we forget what it is we're dealing with. But that's false weight. What does God want us to do? Be responsible. If I've done wrong, I've done wrong. So what's the proper attitude of somebody who has done wrong? Admit it. What do we call that? Integrity. What else do we call that? Humility. Right? Humbling ourselves, being integrity, standing by the truth, even if the truth is unpopular. Isn't that exactly what it is that God is calling us to. So in this chiastic, in the, in the two ends, the two beginnings, it's, it's God hates fraud. God doesn't like 
God doesn't like the light weights. He wants us to recognize that the things gained in that regard are going to come to nothing. See, both false weights and prideful people claim to be what they are not. Oh, no, really? Yeah, that's what we do. And we saw when we went through our study in James, didn't we, that probably one of the biggest things we struggle with in our lives is pride. Most of the time, if I stop and pause and look back at what it is I'm offended about in a situation, you know what's offended? My pride. And I definitely don't want to go read what, how Peter described Jesus, that when he was reviled, he reviled not. When he was struck, he didn't strike back. And all the different examples we see of Christ as our humble king who took upon himself our failure so that we could walk the road of life. He opened the gate. He opened the gate so that there was a way for us to walk. When we come to the next, we have a parallel pair. <clears throat> Salvation for the righteous. Look at it in verses 5 and 6. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight. But the wickedness falls by his own wickedness. So what do we have? We have this idea. Righteousness walks straight. It's a straight path. Wickedness falls down. It's a crooked path. It's not easy to walk. It's not smooth. Verse 6. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their own lust, their own desires. The wicked are caught in their own trap. The Bible tells us that if we love the Lord, He gives us the desires of our heart. Everybody heard of that? Psalms, I want to say, I want to say 33, might be 39. But the idea is that when I love God, when He is my treasure, He places in my heart desires that I can trust. If I'm not loving the Lord, I can't trust my desires. I might want for something that's bad, right? But if I'm loving the Lord with all my heart, which the Word of God calls us to, right? In the great Shema. And the great Shema, Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, right? And He also calls us, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We're still, we're still, that's in Leviticus. Didn't, it didn't just get brought to us in the New Testament, that's Old Testament. The love God, love people. Jesus pointed to those two things and said that's the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. Love God. Love people. So if I don't love God, my desires become a trap. My desires lead me into the trap that's going to catch me. The wages of sin is death. The, the road of the wicked is the road of death. Right? The road of righteousness, following Jesus Christ, that's the way of life. And so these parallels are intended for us to look at the parallel between the righteous in life and the wicked in death in verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Next we have uh, 7 and 8, the death of a sinner. This again is an uh, inclusio. And in this inclusio you'll see the wicked, the, this judgment on the wicked on both ends of it. Verse 7, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish. The expectation of wealth perishes. The righteous is delivered by trouble, but, but the wicked walks into it instead. So you have the bookends. The wicked, and what we see about the wicked, the path that the wicked are on leads to destruction. Doesn't lead, you may, the Bible tells us that, that there is a passing pleasure in sin, right? 
But that road, what's the road? If I'm walking in sin or I'm living in sin, what road am I on? Death. Where am I going? Destruction. Is there anything good on that road? I get to the end of the road, there's nothing good there. So what is it that the Lord is saying? Hey, take a look at your feet. What path is it that we are walking? What path are we looking at? Because there is utter destruction for the wicked. His hope goes away. His wealth goes away. He loses it all. We get to the end. There's nothing good on the road for the wicked. But the, the parallel in the inclusio is to look at the righteous. What do we see about the righteous? Life. Isn't that what he means by he says the righteous will be delivered? The righteous will have life. Does that mean there won't be hard things for the righteous? Is that what it means? If I walk the road of life, it's not going to be hard? That's not what he says. He says when you get to the end, you'll have life. You'll have life. The benefit of walking the path that Jesus called the narrow way, the way that leads to life. We see laid out for us here in the book of Proverbs. So, next, uh, the fourth little division is another chiastic in uh, Proverbs 11, 9 to 13. <coughs> With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. But a man of understanding remains silent. And whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So we have from 9 to 12... In, from 9 to 12, we have a chiastic, and then we have like the moral statement, the moral of the story in verse 13. So when we look at it, just, just kind of see these points. The righteous escape verbal attacks by following wisdom, by doing what wisdom says. They, go, they don't get trapped in the verbal attack. You ever known people that the, the, it's just no matter what you do, it's just going to be a shouting match? And why am I wasting my time in that? The Bible's going to tell me later on, answer not a fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool the same way he's acting. If you can have a worthwhile conversation, it's worth it. But if you can't, the Bible says a wise man stays silent. He doesn't get caught up in it. He doesn't get caught up in it. He, so the righteous escape the verbal attacks by following wisdom. And we're going to focus on the righteous side of things right now. The rejoicing of the city at the perishing of the wicked. You have the righteous is, is going to escape the attacks of the wicked by following wisdom. And the city will rejoice. The city's going to rejoice when the wicked are gone. Why does the city rejoice? Because they're free of their wagging tongues. The idea is that the wicked are gossips. That the wicked are talebearers. That the wicked are slanderers. That they have all these negative things. That they want to get in a mud-slinging battle. And so the scripture lays out for us. Here's, here's what the righteous do. The righteous is going to bring rejoicing to the city. Because the wicked are going to bail. The wicked. How many of you guys know the wicked will not hang out with the righteous? Have you figured that out yet? Now I'm not saying that the righteous don't ever minister to the wicked. For sure. Who made the righteous righteous in the first place? The righteous are just wicked people in Christ. That's all. 
Wicked people in Christ, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, become righteous people. And they do their best to follow Jesus on the narrow path that leads to life. Wicked people are just people who have not repented of their wicked deeds and turned to Christ to walk on the path of life. It's the only difference. (laughs) It's the only difference. So the city rejoices. It's better for a city. It's better for a community when there's not a lot of gossip and talebearers. Does anybody know that? Has personal experience revealed that to anyone? That it's better when there's not a lot of gossip going on? Or slander? Or those kind of things happening? So why is the city rejoicing? Not, they're not rejoicing over the destruction of the wicked. They're rejoicing over the, the perishing. The wicked have left. They're gone. They're gone. They're free of their slander. They're free of their gossip. The city will prosper when the righteousness... When righteousness is exalted, if the city has a desire to morally walk the path of life, what's, what's the, the result going to be for the city? It's going to be a better place. What if the city decides to walk the path of death? What's it going to be? Well, same result, guys. It's the same result. It's not overly complicated. If I will follow the moral instruction of the Word of God, then there's life. If I reject the moral instruction of the Word of God, there's not. One, look at our world. Are you, don't try to sell me that our world is following the moral compass of the Bible. That's not the moral compass of the Bible. This is the moral compass of the world. And what do I mark that moral compass by? How much hatred is there? Everywhere. On all sides. And the result is, is, is hatred the path of life? What do you think? Oh, look how smart you guys are getting. What is the path of life? Is that love? Love's on the path of life, so we want to see love being expressed and shown, regardless, even in the midst of trying to share with someone their moral compass is sideways? Yeah. Yeah, that's the path of life that God wants us to understand. So the city prospers when righteousness is exalted, when they want to follow the narrow path that Jesus talked about. But it will be overthrown by gossip, by slander, by what people call hate speech. Now, they define hate speech different than me. Hate speech is speech that is in uh, rejection of the Word of God. That's hate speech. Speech following love is a speech that will be grounded in the Word of God. Yeah? Word of God says it's loving for me to tell somebody they're about to kill themselves if they stay on the road they're on. The world says that's hate speech. Do you see the difference? The Bible says it's loving to, to stop a brother from running down the road of death. Uh, in fact, in James, when we closed out James last week, it says you'll save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. That's loving. It's loving to do that. The world tells you it's hatred if I don't just let you do whatever you want. I don't know any parent that thinks that's good parenting, is it? This is, this is the golden rule of parenting? Tell your child to do whatever they want? I would have never survived child rearing like that. No, we want to... The Bible says if you love your child, what happens? You correct him. If you love him, you correct him. You try to help him. That's loving. We get it all backwards. The Bible said in the last days, they would say evil is good and good is evil. They would say bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What's that mean? They're flipping 
the moral compass. They're flipping terms. They're flipping ideas to the point where they no longer make sense. If the city follows a path of death, slander and hate speech, the city is going to be overthrown. But the righteous do not participate in slander. They stay silent. And the righteous don't give their ear to slander. Turn the channel. Or correct your brother that you care about if they're in slander, if they're in sin. This is the same thing I do every time somebody calls me and says, you know, Jackie, what so-and-so did? You know what my next line is going to be? Have you talked to them? Why are you talking to me? I'm not them. I can't tell you what's in their head or what they're thinking. I can't side with you or side with them. I can tell you, hey, you need to sit down and talk to your brother. You need to sit down and talk to your sister and, and work these things out. That's biblical direction, isn't it? So if the Bible tells us that's what we ought to do with our anger, our frustration, that would be called the path of what? Life. And if I don't do it, what am I walking? Path of death. Look at our feet and see where we are. So look at the, look at the afterward. The two parts of the chiastic, the righteous escape verbal attacks by following wisdom. The righteous do not participate in slander, gossip. They remain silent. Those are the two edges, the two A's. The two B's deal with the city. The rejoicing of the city at the perishing of the wicked, and the city will prosper when righteousness is exalted. The key points inside of those two, the freedom we have when the wagging of tongues is removed, and the fact that gossip will overthrow the city. That's the point. Clearly defining for us path of life, path of death. Good from evil. The next one we have is uh, national and personal prudence. Look at this one. It's, uh, it's a parallel, so we have two things to take a look at in verse 14 and 15. Where there is no guidance, a people fall. So this is talking about corporately or nationally. Think about your nation. As a nation, where there is no guidance, a people fall. You cannot just run around and do whatever you want. That does not work. Find for me one place where anarchy has accomplished a thing, ever. It's just a way of rebellion. But can you govern that way? Can a people stand that way? No, it says where there's no guidance, (coughs) the people fall. But in the abundance of counselors, in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. So what does it mean? Listen, there's a pattern here, and the pattern is this. Imprudent action brings disaster. No guidance, I fall. Prudent action brings security. If I listen to counselors, we'll be okay. As a, as a nation, this is national. We get the personal in the next verse. So nationally, what do we want? We want counselors. We want to seek wisdom. We want a leader who will lead, who will take us where we need to go. And we want him to be listening to a lot of counselors. Otherwise, there's no real leadership there. Then it looks individually. Look what it says. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. We talked about this before. Basically, the Bible says, look, don't co-sign a loan for a stranger. Wise or dumb? Yeah, dumb. Don't do it. You know how many times people come to me and say, Jackie, will the church give me some money? I promise I'll pay it back. I've been here eight years. 
I almost always try to help people if I can. And in those eight years, I think three times someone has paid back. That might be Joe, babe. Three times in eight years. So, look, if someone is promising you, oh, look, if you co-sign for me, I got you. That's just words. Now, when I help people, I don't expect anything back. That's how we do it. If they give it back, celebration. Woohoo! Right? But otherwise, look, we helped put food on the table or whatever the electricity on or whatever the thing was. But as an individual, as an individual person, I'm not going to go and co-sign for somebody I don't know. I'm not going to become a security. I'm not going to go to my neighbor and say, you can trust this guy who I don't know. Right? So the idea of that, guys, is it's imprudent action. Just like nationally, it's imprudent action if there's no leadership or there's no counselors. Individually, if I become a security for somebody I don't know, that's imprudent action. That also brings disaster. What's the disaster? It says he will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands and pledge, that's shaking hands. You guys get the idea? Yeah, let's shake on it. Okay, we shake on it, but I don't know you. You're a stranger. You're a stranger. I'm asking for hurt. The individual should follow wisdom's counsel. Because people that you don't know or your friends can drag you into bad ventures. So follow wisdom's counsel. What's wisdom's counsel? Don't make those kind of deals. A ruler? A ruler needs to seek the advice of many counselors. There's wisdom in the, in the, in the idea of listening to many. And I actually like this, by the way, in the body of Christ as well. How many of you guys know, theologically, there's a lot of different views when we come to the Bible? Anybody have recognized that yet? How about eschatology? You guys know what eschatology is? Study of end times? Is there multiple views? Study of end times? Yeah. Now, if you think you can prove one, we got a roundtable discussion just for you. Because if that was true, then there would not be five different views or 50 different views or whatever it is. The reality is, the Word of God leaves space. We, if the Word of God is our final arbiter, if the final arbiter is the Jewish wedding, or if our final arbiter is cultural, or if our final arbiter is my opinion, then I can give you a solid, hey, this is how it works. But here's the mistake churches make. If you don't have the same view as me, I don't want you. What? Here's what I want. If you don't have the same view as me, let's sit down and talk. I'm open to change. Show me what it says in the Word of God. Let's discuss it. Let's each of us grow and become better. You and I, we have different views of soteriology. Okay, the final arbiter is the Word of God. Let's sit down and work it out. The more that we have that diversity in the body and the more we're willing to have normal communication with one another and discuss these issues, the more we'll grow the better we'll be as a body. The more we're absolutely sure, boom, I got my fist, I know absolutely, I got the truth right here. Now there are some things that are absolute, because the Bible makes them absolute. Those things will never change, and that will break fellowship, those issues. Jesus is God. That's solid. There are things that the Bible 
teaches that are absolutely without any struggle at all in our mind, that's solid ground. Those things, we don't give. But there's a lot of things that there is questions about. And for those things, the Bible says, come, let us reason together. Come, let's sit down and talk. That word, by the way, come, let us reason, means come, let us fight. But we sit down around the table and we discuss it. That's one of the things that I love about our body, that we're willing to do that. That, that Jackie gets too far left or too far right, somebody's on the other side willing to sit down and say, hey, let's discuss this. And we're both better for it. Does that make sense? Have, having wisdom within the body of Christ, people who are willing to stand as the Word of God is our final arbiter. Hey, what the Word of God, that's it. The argument ends there, right? Here's what the Bible says. Spending the time to study and understand what the Bible is laying out for us. That is so vital in the body of Christ. Well, next we have a parallel. Parallel between kindness and cruelty, verse 16 and 17. <coughs> it says, a gracious woman gets honor, a violent man gets riches. Now, here's the parallel. I want you to see the parallel. A gracious woman, her pursuit, the thing that she is seizing for or trying to grasp is honor. She wants honor. And then that, that is paralleled, laid down next to a cruel man. A cruel man whose his only goal is to seize riches. Now, one of those two is a way of life and one is a way of death. Which is which? It's pretty easy, isn't it? The, the kind woman whose desire is to get honor, to be honorable, to stand in her integrity and her truth, Hey, that is the way of life. What's the way of death? The parallel, the flip side of that, if you will. Look at a man who all he wants is riches. All he wants is riches. He wants to seize riches. The Bible calls him a cruel man. A cruel man. The next verse is the same kind of parallel. Look at it. A kind man, a kind man, a man who is kind benefits himself. A cruel man hurts himself. Lay down those parallels. A kind man Literally, this is what it says, a kind man benefits his soul. And a cruel man hurts his soul. Now, I know what a cruel man is. I look at the next, the previous verse, right? Cruel man whose main goal in life is to grasp after riches. But the kind man, just like the kind woman, what's he want? Honor. Walk in truth. Walk the road of life. Walking the road of life is good for your soul. Walking the road of death is bad for your soul. We want to walk the road of life. This is what the scripture is declaring for us. <clears throat> the next one talk about the wages of sin. And it's another chiastic, another chiastic structure. It says the wicked earns deceptive wages. But one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. That's a really easy one to see the chiastic. You see how the first phrase and the last phrase are the same? The first phrase, wicked earns deceptive wages. The last phrase, he who pursues evil will die. That's the two ends of the chiastic. The two middles are the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward, and whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live. Those two go in the middle, the other two go on the outside. 
the point of the chiastic, it gets your attention to the moral of the story in the middle. So what literally is saying, wickedness earns deception. I'm going to give it to you easy. This is how Galatians chapter 6 says it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, what's the next part? So shall he reap. A wicked man earns deception. A righteous man gets a sure reward. Talking about the end of the road. Not talking about every little example along the road. Where's the road end? Sure reward. Righteousness, sure reward, life. Right? Wickedness, sure reward, destruction. One is earning deception. The other is earning a sure reward. Then he goes on. Steadfast, uh, whoever is steadfast or stays in righteousness will live. What's on that path? Life, right? Where's that path in? We talked about this. Hopefully I can help. I try to make it as clear as I can. But the, the point of the path is not all the little intersections of life. Those things, that's part of life. The point of the path is what are you going to? Where's your goal? Where are you trying to arrive? At the end, Jesus said, I, I came to give you life and life how? Is that found on the, on the way of death or the way of life? Does that make sense? That's where that path goes. The path where we follow Christ, that leads to life. The path where we reject Christ and go our own way, that leads to death. Destruction, life, destruction, life. God said, I have set before you two things, life and death. So the Lord looked at his people and said, this is all I'm asking. Choose life. Choose life. You get to pick. You can do anything you want. Right? You walk out the door tonight, you got all the freedom you could ever ask for. Why do you have all the freedom you can ever ask for? Because God is free. And he made you in his image. You're free. I could go left or right, up or down, wherever I want to go. But I just want you to realize God is pleading with you. Choose life. You get to pick. Choose life. I came to give you life. Life abundant. Life abundant. Next we have a parallel on divine judgment. Verse 20 and 21. (coughs) It says, those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord. But those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. So there's two things I want you to see. A lot of times we trip out over the word abomination, so let me give you an easier word to put in there, right? Because some of those words become so religious, we, we lose their meaning. Abomination means disgusted. Disgust. This is disgusting to the Lord, This is a delight to the Lord. You with me? So we got those of a crooked heart. Those of a divided heart. Those whose hearts aren't centered on the Lord. Because you're supposed to love the Lord your God with how much? A piece? Is it okay if it's just a little bit of the left of my heart? The underneath part of my heart? How much of your heart does he want? So why was David a man after God's own heart? What was special about him? He loved him with his heart. Right? Undivided heart. That's what God wants. An undivided heart. All in, all out. Make sense? So he wants all in. So somebody who's not all in is disgusting. Oh, come on, Jackie. That's kind of harsh. Okay, let me do it like this. Your husband. 
He's not all in. He loves you with the left of his heart. The rest of his heart, he loves every other woman he can find. Is that disgusting or delightful? Oh, look how easy that was. All we got to do is take it, look at, set it down in front of us, look at it and go, oh, you know what? That is disgusting. That is disgusting. So God says that's a disgust. We don't love him with all our heart. We're unfaithful. He wants faithful people. So we want to love him with all our heart. But what is a delight? Look what he says. But those of blameless ways are delight. Now what's a blameless way? Does that mean you're, you have worked so hard at being perfect you finally became good? If we spend any time looking in the mirror, guys, you know pretty quick, man, I still got problems. Uh, if, I, if you guys tell me I'm the only one, I tell you what. <coughs> I know I still have problems. What makes me blameless? That I am on the path Christ asked me to be on. Am I perfect? No. But I'm trying to walk it. That's what, make me blame, what, what makes me blameless is I am in Christ following him. That's it. That's all. Not my performance. It's not about how many of the perfect things that I do. No, I'm trying to be on this road. Now, tomorrow I may trip, fall, wake up. Oh my gosh, I got on the road of death. What do I do about that? The Bible says confess, repent, and get on the right road. That's it. It's not complicated. Oh, well, look at there. Man, I made some dumb choices. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I I have sinned. Will you forgive me? I'm going to get back over here on the right road. That's not complicated. That's what being blameless is all about. A blameless person doesn't stand in his sin, wallow in his sin, and say, you know what, there's nothing wrong with it. The Bible has a different word for that. So a heart that is divided is disgusting, but the blameless, the one who are willing to follow him, they are his delight. Verse 21, be assured an evil person will not go unpunished. Where does the road he walks end? Death. You guys, are, come on, you got to get it. When that road goes to death, that's the conclusion. That's where it comes. That's the end result. Everybody will stand before a holy and righteous God. And if you walk the road of death to get there, that's not a great day. But if I walk the path of life, it is. That's it. Two paths you can go by. But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. If you're on the wrong road, get on the right road. Walk the path that God wants you to walk. Be where God wants you to be. And the other point, look at this last phrase. But the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. You notice what it said? I don't want you to miss this. Being wicked or righteous affects other people than you. It's the offspring of the righteous that are delivered. It's our children that learn how to walk by watching us. It's our grandchildren that learn how to walk by watching us. It's our great-grandchildren. It's the people around us that are affected by the choices we make. Does anybody know that? Are people affected by the choices you make? Do you literally think you make a choice in a vacuum and it doesn't affect anyone? I've done dumb things in my life. And the dumb things that I did in my life, they brought back a harvest. I planted seeds of deception and seeds on the road of death, and that's what it brought back to me. I want to spend my life planting seeds of life. 
I want to spend my life sowing the seeds that Christ calls me to sow. I want to walk that path so that, so that the offspring of the righteous are delivered. You know, the greatest joy for a father is to watch his son walk with the Lord. That's the greatest joy. Man, you cannot take that away. That's the desire. Well, we'll, <coughs> we'll take a look at the, one more tonight. We'll take a look at verse 22. Beauty without discretion. Could not leave this one alone. Like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. This is called character parallelism. Jackie, what in the world is this about? Okay, let me make it simple. I'll make it as simple as I can. What is this about? The pig doesn't know the value of the gold ring. And a woman without discretion doesn't know the value of her beauty. Pig doesn't know the value of the gold ring. And the woman doesn't know the value of her beauty without discretion. The idea the Word of God lays out for us is this. The, I guess an example of the perfect woman is what Proverbs 31 is all about. That's the next time. When we end Proverbs, we'll come to the point where we'll see wisdom personified again one more time in uh, you know, what, what some people would call the, the, the perfect woman or the, I'm trying to think of the right word they use, but it'll come to me 20 minutes after we're done. <laughs> but the idea is that understanding that that when we walk the path of life, then you'll have discretion. That word discretion can have three meanings. Taste. It's used to mean taste in the Bible. It's used of discretion. And it's used of judgment. All three. So it doesn't matter which one you land on. It becomes the same result. That That we don't understand if we don't. We don't understand the, the, the beauty of what God has given if we're not walking the path of life. We don't understand the beauty of what God has for us in relationship. Look, I've done, I, I made every wrong decision humanly possible. Every possible thing I could do wrong, I've done wrong. And I'm here to tell you, if you do it God's way, it's so much better than if you don't. So I'm just trying to say I ran down both roads long enough to decide what was on one road and what was on the other. And I am telling you, I don't care how lame or square or dumb God's way sounds. God's way is life. And it's perfect. And it's beautiful. And you begin to realize the true beauty and majesty around you when you walk the path of life. When you walk the path of death, everything just looks dark, man. And I get cynical. And I can't see the good in anything. But if I walk the path God gives me, He gives us eyes to see. Right? He gives us empathy and compassion for one another. Love that we can express to one another. He, he gifts us with the things we need and we understand the value of them on the road of life. So that's what Proverbs has for us tonight. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.